13 minutes past 8 Central African time. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and a very warm welcome this evening to Under the Radar here on Radio Islam International where once again we kick off with a very uh, important focus on the tragedy that uh, still has very, very deep wounds and very, very big needs and that is uh, the earthquake aftermath in Turkey as well as uh, the, the northern parts of Syria and uh, fresh back from the disaster zone is uh, head of the gift of the giver search and rescue team Ahmed Pam and uh, if I'm looking back at my records the last time uh, I spoke to Ahmed myself on this platform was way back in 2020 when uh, he had just returned from China uh, on a very uh, difficult mission as it was at that point in time to repatriate South African citizens uh, who were stuck in China and uh, fast forward three years and another very important mission to be able to save lives is just returned from there. Ahmed, we welcome you once again to Radio Islam International. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and welcome. Wa alaikum salam and thank you for having me. Uh, a great pleasure and um, there's still probably lots of sounds, lots of uh, smells, lots of sights that uh, you are processing through your mind, just uh, freshly landed on South African soil. Uh, understand you, you, you returned yesterday, Ahmed? Uh, we returned yesterday around uh, 10.30, Alhamdulillah, in Johannesburg, and my Cape Town team returned at 11 o'clock. They landed. There were nine members that landed in Cape Town. So I want to build up to the the experience and uh, the the important messages that you have to share with us. But uh, a few steps back before this, um, just uh, the fact that Gift of the Givers uh, um, uh, have a search and rescue team. You've been part of this. There's uh, a long history of interventions. There's a long history of uh, providing assistance in the immediate aftermath of tragedies. Uh, you, yourself involved in the emergency sector, uh, even prior to Gift of the Givers, just give us a bit of your personal background and then uh, the, the history with Gift of the Givers uh, in, in, in responding to such tragedies. My, uh, yeah, at a young age, I started in the emergency services and over the years uh, built up and furthered my studies and, and uh, you know, uh, more in the academic field, but uh, more operational as well and always been focused. So it's been 23 years in the emergency medicine, emergency medical service and disaster medicine uh, platform. Uh, <clears throat> I've started with Gift of the Givers on my first mission was in 2005 uh, with the Pakistani earthquake. And it was quite a big earthquake as well, as we can remember how it was. And over that, uh, when we started, uh, I just went as a medical team person and, and we know we assisted more with our medical intervention. But then uh, in Haiti, when Haiti had that earthquake, that's when um, MTRs and Gift of the Givers decided that we'll have a search and rescue component added to the NGO. So before the NGO used to just do humanitarian aid and then we built up onto primary health care. Then we started taking specialized teams. That's what happened in uh, Pakistan. And then <clears throat> after Pakistan, we said, let's add a new component, which is search and rescue. And in Haiti, that was our first search and rescue mission, which we deployed at. 
And over the years, we built on that capacity and we realized the importance of having this rapid response search and rescue team that goes ahead during the first few days and, and, and really assist in paving the way for our medical teams and our other specialized teams to come, but also the importance of search and rescue, advanced life support, paramedical service during that first phase, you know. And... Um, Coming up to Turkey, uh, we've uh, responded, I've responded to about probably 17 missions, both from uh, natural disasters to civil wars to famine and droughts. Alhamdulillah, I've been fortunate to have uh, gone with the teams and, and learned a lot from Imtiaz's mentoring and guidance and, and Alhamdulillah, taken these teams all over. But uh, going through earthquakes specifically, going through to Haiti, to Nepal, to Pakistan, coming to Turkey and seeing the devastation, this was the worst devastation I've experienced in my 23 years. Uh, that's, that's extremely troubling to, to hear, and we'll, we'll uh, hear more of the, the details, unfortunately painful details, uh, that, that, that would be shared. In terms of the search and rescue, Ahmed, the uh, expertise that's required for this, which, what, what's the kind of expertise that you assemble uh, to form your team? And uh, in terms of the countries that you've worked and uh, the build-up of missions over the years, uh, has this expertise then come to be sought after as well as respected? You know, I must commend the South African uh, Rescue Fraternity and Emergency Medical Services that we have a lot of really professional, adaptable, highly skilled personnel. So the type of expertise that we do take is just not your average person driving ambulance or the average rescuer or so. We look at very specialized types of skills that's needed. So we'd look at someone who's a rescue technician. That means he's completed his 12 rescue modules, meaning that he can deal with confined space, aviation rescue, fire search and rescue, hazmat awareness. These are the type of qualifications that we do need because when we respond to earthquakes and to disasters like this, you'd want to take the best of the best. And that's the reason for taking that is that you're taking your highly skilled professionals, you know that you're going to be doing a lot more with them and there's no time for training and teaching in the field. You know that they are safe. And besides that as well, besides the qualification, I always say you can have the best CV in the world, but when you come with us, what going with all those highly skills, we look at other aspects from the NGO. We look at empathy, sympathy. How does a person communicate? How does he respect the country, the bodies, you know, death and things? So those are things we also look as a gift of the givers in terms of taking our personnel. But coming back to it, we look at our paramedics that we take. We normally take our degree paramedics that's got a Bachelor of Health Science degree as emergency care practitioners because that's the type of skills we go Going to be needing. Our surge dogs that we do take from the South African Police Services, we're only one of the few countries in the world where our dogs are actually trained to look for live, a death patient, uh, someone who's dead, as well as gather evidence where normally search and rescue team dogs are trained either to find a live patient or death patient. And as you can see, a lot of our healthcare fraternity, rescue fraternity 
personnel all over the world. South Africa is sought after because of the professionalism and the type of skilled uh, paramedics or rescuers or medical personnel we have. So that's qualities which South Africa does have and it's actually respected. And going to this world stage, people have actually seen that we've got that capabilities and capacity and it's so nice to see that Africa is helping the world. You know, normally everyone thinks uh, if we come from Africa, we want something. But here it's showing the quality of Africa. And Alhamdulillah, through our years of gift of the givers from 30 years, we managed to put teams together to offer A to Z service. So we do a search and rescue. We have medical teams. After that, we look at sustainable projects. We then build houses or do humanitarian aid. And from there, counseling to the country. So I always say we won, if not one of the few teams in the world that provides uh, A to Z service. Normally countries will only provide search and rescue or they'll only have medical but Alhamdulillah the NGO has grown so well and with the support of everyone we provide that type of specialized services. A, a brief side note, uh, I don't want to delve too much into this one but uh, you know tempted by the question that you, the, the, the answer that you've just given uh, where you, you speak about the, the level of expertise in the sector in South Africa now uh, you know uh, for all the doom and gloom that we are exposed to in South Africa and no, no need to elaborate on, on that. Uh, Perhaps this might come as a, a bit of a, a surprise, the, the level of expertise in this regard. Uh, any explanation uh, for that? You, you know, it, it comes with the training, uh, especially in the emergency uh, medicine sector and the pre-hospital. If you look at what our South African EMS is faced with, the trauma and the things that we do see, the crime, our paramedics are really trained to treat that kind of um, uh, incidences, if I put it that way. I know there's a lot of doom and gloom locally sometimes where the fire services or the rescue personnel don't turn up at scenes or they turned out late or so. But I mean, those are local government issues or, you know, there's restrictions in that. But it doesn't take away anything from the rescuer. They're still so committed and I mean for them as volunteers traveling with us because they don't get no remuneration for this. Most of them have actually taken even their, their leave to come with so that they can just go serve. And that on its own tells you so much of the person's personality and his intentions for coming on these type of missions. So one, he's got the qualifications, he does this every day. Number two, he's even willing to sacrifice his own leave to leave this country and go and assist anywhere in the world. And when they're there, they're really so professional. The teams don't waste time. They go out. And in the world stage, they've performed so well. Coming down to Turkey now, you can see with the international teams, the response and the messages we're getting from them daily. We miss you, South Africa. Where are you? You had the resources. You've got the specialized equipment. You'd be so surprised that even the specialized type of equipment that we took over, other teams which are sent by governments didn't have that type of specialized equipment. We have equipment like GSS life locators, which are specialized to search and rescue for personnel buried under the rubber. I spoke about the dogs as well, but the caliber of, of, of personnel we take are very highly skilled. 
Jazakallah for that, Ahmed. Now, this particular mission, give us an indication of the uh, rapid response that you provided. How soon was that response? And uh, then the initial stages of setting up your operation in the uh, particular areas that you concentrated on? So uh, we've seen the images on on Monday morning. Uh, I was down in Cape Town on official government work, and and uh, Imtiaz uh, gave me a call and he said, "Look, are you watching the TV on what's happening in Turkey? It looks really bad." I said, "No, it's fine. I've already put the search and rescue team on standby, um, and within putting them on standby at eight o'clock, at nine o'clock, I already received fifty volunteers from our search and rescue group that." were ready to deploy and then um, we started making arrangements for deployment because what's key in situations like this is to respond immediately with search and rescue teams because in that immediate aftermath that's the time where it's the most likely to find uh, survivors you know look search and rescue teams predominantly are there to find survivors they don't do really body recoveries they just mark where where bodies uh, fatalities are and they don't take out the bodies but um, coming back to our response we got the team ready we made the announcement at 12 o'clock that we are going to be responding we had partnered uh, Turkish Airlines uh, a month before and they've become our official partner prior to the to the earthquake to fly us to disaster zones anywhere in the world and 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 what happened is our team were ready I flew from uh, Cape Town to Durban had to drive to Marisburg make sure our search and rescue equipment is sorted send it on a truck one o'clock in the morning to Johannesburg and the Tuesday morning I was um, on a flight to Johannesburg sorting out all our logistics so our team could fly out the evening of the 8th the same thing that was happening in Johannesburg was happening in Cape Town because we had nine of our members fly out from Cape Town directly as between the two airlines there was just a 15 minute uh, delay between them they would both arrive in Istanbul I didn't go on the first team I needed to stay back for some more logistics and I joined the team on the morning of uh, of Wednesday morning, that's when I arrived. We started operations on Thursday morning. We were on the ground. So what happened is, uh, when we arrived to, to Turkey, they have what we call AFAD, which is the National Disaster Management System. So they looked at our team, our speciality and our capabilities, and they said, look, South Africa, you're sending a specialized team. Let's send you to the most affected region, which is Hatay in Antarctica. And we were based at the Hatay Stadium. And like I mentioned, on Thursday morning, our teams were out doing search and rescue and, 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 and looking at that. Our dogs, however, were from the South African police services. There were processes that needed to be done, but it was really fast track. And within 12 hours or 24 hours, rather, our canines, which were five dogs, Five handlers and a brigadier were sent through to join our rescue efforts. So Friday our dogs arrived and since Friday the team has been working on the ground daily from morning till late into the evening going from building to building looking for survivors and trying to assist where they could. Um, when we were based at our base camp at the Hatay Stadium all the international teams were arriving. 
the Umani team, who are our neighbors, they asked us for assistance because they didn't have dogs. We had a Chinese search and rescue team that didn't have specialized equipment. They asked us if we could provide them with some specialized equipment. And the Turkish team asked if they could work with us as well, as it would be easier working with them just for language with our interpreters and it would make it easier. So our teams worked with the Oman team, the Chinese team, and the bulk of our team worked with the Turkish team. During the searches, um, they traveled, they, they, they looked at, they, they detected a lot of uh, bodies and fatalities because if I can just put you in a simple picture in, 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 in Takia, is, you know, we have a lot of single floor buildings in South Africa. But in Antakya, the, the, the building that's like five or six stories, that's like the simple building you get. It's five or six stories. The biggest buildings are up to 20 stories. So if you can just take a moment and imagine the earthquake hit at half past four or five o'clock in the morning, people were sleeping. So most of the people were indoors. And in Antakya, over 6,000 buildings collapsed. So, I mean, you've seen the images, but being on the ground, it was too overwhelming and seeing the massive destruction that there were there. What our teams then done, they, they picked up some bodies and I, I gave authorization for them to recover some of their bodies just to bring closure to the families, especially the bodies, bodies that were not buried really deep because I didn't want to put my team and we don't put our teams at risk but we assisted in just retrieving 15 of the bodies so the families could get closure. Then our dogs on the fourth day detected a live patient which was a 90 year old lady after eight days she was buried. Alhamdulillah it was a miracle that she survived but she was pulled out from the rubber and towards the evening our canines also detected another body and they pulled out a 52-year-old male patient that was also recovered, alhamdulillah, and is alive. Over the next few days, our teams just assisted. We identified over 200 bodies in different buildings and we marked them so they... The, 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 after the rescue efforts, the rehabilitation in terms of retrieving the bodies kick in and the Turkish team could retrieve those bodies. So, so the teams really worked hard. Our dogs as well, really exhausted, lots of emotions, lots of personal stories. And the Turkish people were amazing through all which they went through. They were so hospitable through to us. And there's so much human stories and emotions that my team have achieved. And like my team said, if this didn't change them 1%, then I don't know what we need to change them. As we left there, our teams really cried. As I spoke to them today, they said, look, we wish we were back there, but we did the best we could. Uh, truly, truly, truly amazing. I would want to keep you for too much longer, but uh, just probing one or one or two more issues, uh, Ahmed. And the the, the 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 point that you've made, and you you've probably given a a, a, a very compelling reason why this is the case. Um, you know, the level of destruction and the level of casualties uh, because of the time that it occurred and the nature of the buildings in the affected area. But you made the statement right at the beginning that. You've been to so many disaster zones, and th th this one uh, really uh, the the scale of the destruction was was immense. I mean, just just make that real for us. Uh, the, the pictures do tell a story, but like you say, being on the ground, uh, you know, just 
gives you the sheer force and the sheer reality uh, of of the tragedy. Uh, if if you could explain to us exactly what you mean by this being, you know, so serious. Yeah, you know, Hatay province, or rather in Takia, being about, I think it was over 150 kilometers from the epicenter. And this earthquake, it hit about, was it just 10 kilometers underneath the ground? So that means it was very close to the surface. So at a 7.8 magnitude, and we can see the images today with social media and, and, and you know, the images before the buildings collapsed. And so it was utter devastation. So if you picture a 15-story building collapsing like a pancake and layers, layers, nothing in between, just those slabs, as you go there, you can see images of a boot or hand or images like that to, to bring you into that. And that's the whole city. So buildings had up to six, seven, eight hundred people that passed away. And as our teams were retrieving the bodies as well, you can, though our teams are trained, we used to a lot of trauma and things we do see in South Africa also. But if a huge building collapses on you, uh, you know, if it just comes in your mind when retrieving the body, how do you retrieve that body? How's the condition of that body? It's not intact. So it was really, really difficult. I'll give you this one story where a father asked us to take out his daughter. And our teams uh, dug in, they retrieved his daughter. And I can just picture him now, when he held his daughter, her body wasn't in the best form, but he just smelled her clothes. And just smelling the clothes and looking at that emotions that this father went, it was just with this body in his hand. It, you know, it made us realize how important it was for us to at least bring this type of closure to, to a lot of families. And, 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 and like I mentioned as well, you know, you went to sleep. You didn't know in the next morning you're going to see your brother, your mother, your father, your children. Generations have been wiped out from this earthquake. Generations have been wiped out. You went to sleep the next morning. You didn't know if you were alive, you were stuck where you were. So, you know, if you just sit back and think about that, it's just really devastating on the emotional side in the devastation that you felt. We had one driver who volunteered his services. He used to come pick the rescue team up with the truck and take them out every day. Uh, every day. Then he used to tell me to the translator, he can only work till the evening, till, till before sunset, and then he has to go home. So I, the second day I asked him, is there, is there something wrong that you need to be at home during the evening? So he sat there and he cried. He says, my son, I lost everything. The only reason I'm going home is my children who survived have to sleep in this truck. But I'll be back the next morning to assist you. And all those volunteers and all those people who came to help us, bringing wood, keeping us warm. You know, we were at minus five degrees. The team was sleeping in tents. There were no toilets, food were issue, but it's fine. We knew it's a disaster zone. How can we complain when a whole city has been wiped out like that? But bringing you back to his story, imagine that's the type of hospitality and that's of the that's the type of people and caliber of people that we've seen that went through that. We had aftershocks 
that were there. There were four or five. Um, one was, I think, a 4.4. It shook us. And just to sit and think, when it happened, you look at the kids and you can see the fear in their eyes because they've experienced the 7.8. So just to bring you into that aspect, it was really emotional and thinking back to those aspects where they, the reality of things, you know. Uh, two, two more for you, Ahmed, and uh, what you've shared is uh, truly, truly uh, heartbreaking and uh, to, to imagine then hundreds and thousands of similar similar stories and many of them perhaps even without uh, closure uh, the uh, flip side of that any any light at the end of the tunnel that that you would see or any glimmers of hope amidst this despair and uh, perhaps regarding the, the people who were pulled out alive uh, were you present at any of those and if so uh, or even based on previous experiences when something like that occurs what what happens to you inside you know the first uh, experience i ever had was in haiti so in haiti uh, personally, that was now a bit of a younger Ahmed back in that day. And I was more involved in, 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 in the actual rescuing and operational side of things. And, and, and in Haiti, we went with our dogs and our team and we were searching building after building and just recovering bodies. And, you know, because Haiti was more tropical, so the bodies were decomposing much more quicker. And so, you know, and it was a really, scary scene in Haiti where bodies were just laying all around. But on the eighth day at the cathedral, we were searching and our dog picked up a live patient and I was with the dog at that time. And when I went to confirm, just to scream, I could hear a voice. And the feeling was just amazing that actually you're hearing someone alive. And when we pulled out 69-year-old Enazizi, her first words to me was, I love God, and God was with me, she told me, you know. Then next she told me in French that she loves me, and um, when we got back to the camp, she looked at me and she said, imagine how amazing God is. He sent you from Africa right here to come and rescue me. So he chose you and your team, and glory to God. You know, those were her words. You know, coming back to, to, to Turkey as well, just looking at, at uh, I, was, uh, I was present uh, after they did take out the 90-year-old lady, but uh, we, we, we went already, I went a bit late to the scene due to, 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 to some logistics I needed to do. Because with the missions now, I, I need to be more coordinating and the team leader just making sure lots of things are going on so the team is safe and everything from that aspect, you know. But those impacts and, 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 and those messages really, really impacted me a lot. And coming back to, to Turkey, it brought back a lot of that that we experienced in Haiti and a lot of memories and a lot of reflection of, of, of the Haiti earthquake. You must know Haiti earthquake hit Port-au-Prince. Over 250,000 people died in Port-au-Prince. And you know, it's also Port-au-Prince is very different from Turkey because they didn't have any fun. It's the poorest country in that region of the Americas, you know. So, so it was really, really amazing just coming here and lots of memories and lots of emotions and lots of feelings of, of these types of things. And like I said, if this doesn't change you, what does Allah need to send us to change us, you know? 
it was a reminder for us all and all the team members as well. Absolutely, Ahmed. Very briefly, uh, where, where to from here in terms of the the, the response? Uh, is uh, can we say that the search and rescue operation overall, uh, not only for gift of the givers, but uh, in Turkey itself, uh, the other parties who still might be, uh, f- you know, physically involved, um, would 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 that phase now has it been officially declared over? And uh, th- then a question just. A compound question, therefore, uh, broader South Africa. You know, many people uh, have uh, a great desire to assist. The, you know, the human desire, the brotherly desire to to assist. Uh, but uh, what what would the best way be to be to assist at this particular time, given the dynamics? So the search and rescue efforts have decreased. Um, I know a lot of international teams have been leaving back to the countries because in terms of search and rescue, we deploy for 10 days. That's normally the maximum because the teams work so hard. And, and then we normally send the relief backup search and rescue team. But there was no need for that. We had a medical team also on standby to come. But what happened is they did find few live patients after that. I think up to day 10 or day 11. But what is now is it's been concluded that search and rescue team should return back to all the countries and that phase of rebuilding starts. So they bring heavy machinery in, they'll break down the buildings and to start removing the rubble. Just to mention also, you know, we've seen it from the Turkish side, but it impacted the Idlib province of Syria as well. Unfortunately, teams could not respond there. But Alhamdulillah, our Al-Rahmah Hospital has been assisting with casualties, hundreds of casualties every day. Our team in Syria with the limited equipment also put a search and rescue team together and also retrieved a lot of uh, patients that were alive in the rubble. And our main concern is that's where a lot of need is, is on the Syrian side as well. Alhamdulillah, on the Turkish side... We didn't need to do any medical interventions. In the province I was in, Hatay and Takia, there's no need to send food. There was no need for that. There's many agencies there, local agencies especially, feeding the people, driving into the town. We've seen a lot of water points. We've seen a lot of clothing. We've seen a lot of houses that's being provided, I mean tents rather, that's being provided. So on that kind of aspect, there wasn't really much, I'm just saying, us doing there because there was so much humanitarian aid organizations busy there. But in Syria, just 90 kilometers away from Antakya, it's a whole different story. You know, all our tents we used, all our equipment we used, we made sure it goes to Syria when we left camp. So a lot of, a lot of focus will have to be on Syria in terms of humanitarian aid, extra tents, blankets, all of that that needs to be sent much to Syria, medical equipment, because our teams are working literally 24-7 with all the trauma cases. So so a lot of help is needed in Syria uh, at the moment, as well as in Turkey, but a lot of aid is coming to Turkey. But Alhamdulillah, uh, you know, South Africa has donated a lot, the world has given a lot, and, and a lot of focus can be done in that. But inshallah, just with Syria, the need is really big for Syria as well currently. And then my teams, Alhamdulillah, all 
prepared. They will be undergoing counselling now when they're back at home. But I've just got a call now from Dr. Imtiaz uh, earlier that he's put the team on standby for, for the cyclone that's uh, past Mauritius now that would probably be hitting Mozambique on Thursday and Friday. So my teams are already preparing from tomorrow to make sure the equipment is operationally ready and we're ready to deploy if needed. Indeed, the work does not stop, and uh, it, it's uh, very uh, difficult and traumatic uh, for the personnel themselves. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give you all the strength uh, to be able to fulfill this important mission. Uh, Ahmed, I thank you so much for spending this time with us, uh, fresh back from your trip uh, to the epicenter out in Turkey. and. Uh, thank you so much for having the patience to take the questions uh, much longer than I anticipated. Jazakallah uh, khairan and uh, all the best of us, subhanahu wa ta'ala, except from you. And assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Wa alaikum salam and shukran for having me.